This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Brown. The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. Part 2, Section 9. The Bible makers and those regulators of time, the chronologists, appear to have been at a loss where to place and how to dispose of the book of Job, for it contains no one historical circumstance nor allusion to any that might determine its place in the Bible. But it would not have answered the purpose of these men to have informed the world of their ignorance, and therefore they have affixed it to the era of 1,520 years before Christ, which is during the time the Israelites were in Egypt, and for which they have just as much authority and no more than I should have for saying it was a thousand years before that period. The probability, however, is that it is older than any book in the Bible, and it is the only one that can be read without indignation or disgust. We know nothing of what the ancient Gentile world, as it is called, was before the time of the Jews, whose practice has been to calumniate and blacken the character of all other nations, and it is from the Jewish accounts that we have learned to call them heathens. But, as far as we know to the contrary, they were a just and moral people, and not addicted, like the Jews, to cruelty and revenge, but of whose profession of faith we are unacquainted. It appears to have been their custom to personify both virtue and vice by statues and images, as is done nowadays both by statuary and by painting. But it does not follow from this that they worship them any more than we do. I pass on to the book of Psalms, of which it is not necessary to make much observation. Some of them are moral, and others are very revengeful, and the greater part relates to certain local circumstances of the Jewish nation at the time they were written, with which we have nothing to do. It is, however, an error or an imposition to call them the Psalms of David. They are a collection, as songbooks are nowadays, from different songwriters who lived at different times. The 137th Psalm could not have been written till more than 400 years after the time of David, because it was written in commemoration of an event, the captivity of the Jews in Babylon, which did not happen till that distance of time. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down, yea, we wept, when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there that they carried us away captive required of us a song, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. As a man would say to an American, or to a Frenchman, or to an Englishman, Sing us one of your American songs, or of your French songs, or of your English songs. This remark, with respect to the time this psalm was written, is of no other use than to show, among others already mentioned, 
the general imposition the world has been under in respect to the authors of the Bible. No regard has been paid to time, place, and circumstance, and the names of persons have been affixed to the several books, which it was as impossible they should write as that a man should walk in procession at his own funeral. The Book of Proverbs These, like the Psalms, are a collection, and that from authors belonging to other nations than those of the Jewish nation, as I have shown in the observations upon the Book of Job, besides which some of the Proverbs ascribed to Solomon did not appear till 250 years after the death of Solomon. For it is said in the first verse of the 25th chapter, These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. It was 250 years from the time of Solomon to the time of Hezekiah. When a man is famous and his name is abroad, he is made the putative father of things he never said or did. And this, most probably, has been the case with Solomon. It appears to have been the fashion of that day to make Proverbs, as it is now to make just books, and father them upon those who never saw them. The book of Ecclesiastes, or the Preacher, is also ascribed to Solomon, and that with much reason, if not with truth. It is written as the solitary reflections of a worn-out debauchee such as Solomon was, who, looking back on scenes he can no longer enjoy, cries out, All is vanity. A great deal of the metaphor and of the sentiment is obscure, most probably by translation. But enough is left to show that they were strongly pointed in the original. See footnote. From what is transmitted to us of the character of Solomon, he was witty, ostentatious, dissolute, and at last melancholy. He lived fast and died, tired of the world, at the age of 58 years. 700 wives and 300 concubines are worse than none. And, however it may carry with it the appearance of heightened enjoyment, it defeats all the felicity of affection by leaving it no point to fix upon. Divided love is never happy. This was the case with Solomon, and if he could not, with all of his pretensions to wisdom, discover it beforehand, he merited, unpitied, the mortification he afterward endured. In this point of view, his preaching is unnecessary because, to know the consequences, it is only necessary to know the cause. Seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines would have stood in place of the whole book. It was needless, after this, to say that all was vanity and vexation of spirit, for it is impossible to derive happiness from the company of those whom we deprive of happiness. To be happy in old age, it is necessary that we accustom ourselves to objects that can accompany the mind all the way through life, and that we take the rest as good in their day. The mere man of pleasure is miserable in old age, and the mere drudge in business is but little better. 
whereas natural philosophy, mathematical and mechanical science are a continual source of tranquil pleasure. And in spite of the gloomy dogmas of priests and superstition, the study of these things is the true theology. It teaches man to know and to admire the Creator. For the principles of science are in the creation and are unchangeable and of divine origin. Those who knew Benjamin Franklin will recollect that his mind was ever young, his temper ever serene. Science, that never grows gray, was always his mistress. He was never without an object, for when we cease to have an object, we become like an invalid in a hospital waiting for death. Solomon's songs are amorous and foolish enough, but which wrinkled fanaticism has called divine. The compilers of the Bible have placed these songs after the book of Ecclesiastes, and the chronologists have affixed to them the era of 1,014 years before Christ, at which time Solomon, according to the same chronology, was 19 years of age, and was then forming his seraglio of wives and concubines. The Bible makers and the chronologists should have managed this matter a little better, and either have said nothing about the time, or chosen a time less inconsistent with the supposed divinity of those songs. For Solomon was then in the honeymoon of 1,000 debaucheries. It should also have occurred to them that, as he wrote, if he did write the book of Ecclesiastes, long after these songs, and in which he exclaims that all is vanity and vexation of spirit, that he included those songs in that description. This is the more probable, because he says, or somebody for him, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 8, I get me men singers and women singers, most probably to sing those songs, as musical instruments and that of all sorts, and behold, verse 2, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. The compilers, however, have done their work but by halves, for as they have given us the songs, they should have given us the tunes that we might sing them. The books called the books of the prophets fill up all the remaining parts of the Bible. They are sixteen in number, beginning with Isaiah and ending with Malachi, of which I have given you a list in my observations upon Chronicles. Of these sixteen prophets, all of whom, except the three last, lived within the time the books of Kings and Chronicles were written, two only, Isaiah and Jeremiah, are mentioned in the history of those books. I shall begin with those two, reserving what I have to say on the general character of the men called prophets to another part of the work. Whoever will take the trouble of reading the book ascribed to Isaiah will find it one of the most wild and disorderly compositions ever put together. It has neither beginning, middle, nor end and, except a short historical part, and a few sketches of history in two or three of the first chapters, is one continued, incoherent, bombastical rant, full of extravagant metaphor, without application and destitute of meaning, 
a schoolboy would scarcely have been excusable for writing such stuff. It is, at least in the translation, that kind of composition and false taste that is properly called prose run mad. The historical part begins at the 36th chapter and is continued to the end of the 39th chapter. It relates to some matters that are said to have passed during the reign of Hezekiah, king of Judah, at which time Isaiah lived. This fragment of history begins and ends abruptly. It has not the least connection with the chapter that precedes it, nor with that which follows it, nor with any other in the book. It is probable that Isaiah wrote this fragment himself, because he was an actor in the circumstances it treats of. But, except this part, there are scarcely two chapters that have any connection with each other. One is entitled, at the beginning of the first verse, The Burden of Babylon. Another, The Burden of Moab. Another, The Burden of Damascus. Another, The Burden of Egypt. Another, The Burden of the Desert of the Sea. Another, the burden of the Valley of Vision. See footnote. As you would say, the story of the night of the burning mountain, the story of Cinderella, or the children in the wood, etc., etc. Footnote 1. Those that look out of the window shall be darkened is an obscure figure in translation for loss of sight. End of footnote. Footnote 2. See beginning of chapters 13, 15, 17, 19, 21, and 22. End footnote. End of section 9.